Christmas has its stories, tales of long ago. Santa and his reindeer sleigh rides in the snow. Scrooge and Christmas spirits, gifts beneath a tree. Shepherds with a host of angels, wise men on their knees. But the stories we're narrating without further hesitating, because we don't want to keep you waiting. Because this song's not captivating the message you're anticipating. I hope you all are concentrating. I think I am procrastinating. Are the tales of the trees. Well, the Rouse Simmons was not the only schooner sailing on Lake Michigan in November of 1912. While many of the three-masted sailing vessels had been retired and replaced by steamship, the Rouse Simmons sailed on. It was more than 40 years old, but still making trips up and down the lake carrying lumber and Christmas trees. It was not the only schooner to, lose its, uh, to use its last voyage of the season to transport Christmas trees from northern Michigan to Chicago. Many ship owners found it a good way to make a little extra cash to last them through the winter months. The Rouse Simmons, however, was the only schooner to have Captain Santa at the helm. That was the nickname of Sherman or Herman Schooneman, part owner and captain of the boat. Schooneman loved the title and the role. Every November, he would load his ship with as many as 5,000 trees sail the 300-mile trip from Thompson, Michigan to Chicago, and sell the trees himself. He'd decorate his ship, put out a sign, and the crowds would come. He'd sell his trees from 50 cents to a dollar. And by eliminating the middleman, he could make a little more money. But he could also discount or simply give away Christmas trees to those in the city who could not afford them. It was said that the Christmas season did not arrive in Chicago until the Christmas tree ship docked at Clark Street. It seems that Captain Santa was carrying on a family tradition. His brother August was also a ship captain and had begun transporting and selling trees decades before. He also had a nickname, Christmas Tree Shuneman. Sadly, he had died in a shipwreck several years prior while transporting Christmas trees. The circumstances and loss of his brother should have given Herman pause, especially as the November weather was bad. People advised him against making the run, but finances have been tight. Schooneman needed the extra cash. Besides, all those people in Chicago were expecting him to come, including his wife and three daughters, who were waiting for him so that they could have Christmas together. But the ship never arrived in Chicago on the day it was expected, or the next day or the next week. Newspapers speculated on the ship's fate. One edition reported the ship had merely been delayed, but it was wrong. The Rouse Simmons had disappeared, another casualty of Lake Michigan storm. The ship and its entire crew had been lost. A few weeks later, some fir trees began to wash up on the Wisconsin shoreline. Then a dozen years later, some fishermen found a wallet in their nets belonging to Captain Santa. But the last moments in the location of the Rouse Simmons remained a mystery. It wasn't until some 60 years later in 1971 when a diver in search of another shipwreck discovered the Rouse Simmons under 165 feet of water off to the coast of Two Rivers, Wisconsin. 
Though the hull was covered with muscles, the condition of the ship was relatively good. And interestingly, the spines of Christmas trees could be seen below the deck, some still sporting their needles. You might think that a family that had suffered the loss of not one but two members to the November waves of Lake Michigan would be done with the Christmas tree business. But you would be wrong. The very next fall, Schooneman's wife Barbara and her three daughters headed to Michigan where they cut trees themselves for delivery and sale in Chicago. The family business continued on. At first, the trees were brought by ship, later by railroad, a much safer means of transportation. But every year, the Schoenemans made sure that the poor of Chicago got their trees. Elsie, one of the daughters, continued to run the family business for another 20 years and became the third member of the family to earn a special nickname. She was called the Queen of Christmas Trees. Today, the legacy of the Rouse Simmons lives on. Every November, divers plunge into the cold waters of Lake Michigan to affix a Christmas tree to its bow in honor of Captain Santa and his philanthropic efforts. But also every November, a U.S. Coast Guard cutter, the Mackinac, known as the Christmas tree ship, docks at Navy Pier with a cargo of about 1,200 trees for the purpose of carrying on a legacy of generosity and to provide trees for people in need, all inspired by one man, Captain Santa, Herman Schooneman, and his family's determination to share the joy of Christmas with everyone. Christmas tree Schooneman, Captain Santa, the queen of Christmas trees, three great examples of generosity. But if I asked you this morning, who is the greatest example of generosity, who would you tell me? The Sunday school answer, right? Jesus. Jesus was the greatest example of generosity. I think that's a true statement. So let me just throw this one out there. What are like the stories of Jesus that demonstrate his generosity? Help me out here. A story of Jesus that, that demonstrates his generosity. They're there, right? Okay, think hard. Okay, Christmas. You know, he came as a baby. He came for us. Okay, that was your help. Okay, got another story? Okay, how about the cross? We go with that one? All right, give me another one. Woman at the well, okay. Story of generosity, I would agree. Healing people, okay, story of generosity. Feeding of the 5,000, okay. Now, those are all stories of his generosity that you've just shared and I've shared, but there's something missing in all of those stories. Anybody know what it is? What's missing in all those stories is where our mind goes typically when we think about generosity. Not one of those stories involved any type of financial transaction. And what do we think of when we think of generosity? We think of generosity as what? Well, I pull out my wallet and you guys, here you go, you know, buy yourself a cup of coffee or here you can cover that bill or, or you know, here's a gift for you that I purchased for you. And in all of our generosity in our minds... We have this financial piece to it. But I would challenge you, and you might be better than me, because I couldn't think of a single story in Scripture where Jesus actually gave anybody any money. The poor were there. In fact, he talked about the poor, and he talked about giving to the poor. But I'm not sure that we have any examples of him giving to the poor. Seems kind of odd, doesn't it? There's probably a reason for that. 
I think the reason is he didn't really have any money. He kind of lived off the goodwill of others himself. We don't even have any stories, though, that I'm aware of where Jesus gave any things to people. It wasn't like somebody came up to him and, and he's like, oh, here, have my sandals, or here, I've got an extra, you know, robe with me. You could, you could, we don't see anything like that. And even, you know, we mentioned the feeding of the 5,000. You ever think about this? I mean, it was great that he gave that away, but it wasn't even his lunch. A little boy brought it. And, you know, the, 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 the water to wine, I mean, the water was just there. And, and so we have this idea of generosity being about meeting financial needs. And I don't think that's wrong, but I think we've reduced the idea of generosity to a financial transaction. And actually that works for us it, it, because it fits us because it's actually easy sometimes just, you know, to pull out a five or to pull out a ten and say, here, you can have this. Because I can do that and I can go on my way. I can feel good about what I've done. I probably haven't made that much of a difference, but maybe a little one. And, but, but I'm just, you know, doing my thing then. And I don't have to engage beyond that. I give my money. I'm good to go. Here's a question. Do you consider yourself a generous person? Consider yourself a generous person. I think all of us would like to consider ourselves a generous person. But if I asked you that question and said, okay, give me some examples of your generosity, what would you come up with? You know, all of us want to think that we're generous. We don't want to, at Christmas time, you know, be labeled as a Scrooge or a Grinch. Aren't those great names? Like, I don't know how you come up with Scrooge, but it just works, doesn't it? Or Grinch. And we don't want that title. We want to be whatever the exact opposite of that is. We want to be the person who gives, especially here at Christmas time. So what can we learn about generosity from Jesus? The man who never gave away any money. The man who never gave away any money because maybe he saw generosity as something more than that. And so we want to start with a look at John's Gospel. And Jill got us started here this morning by reading the text that we're going to start with, but we're not going to stay there this morning. But I want to just point out a couple things in what she read, and I'm going to add a couple verses onto what she read. But John chapter 1, this is John's version of the Christmas story. Much more theological in nature. Luke give us, gives us the, the story of the stable and the shepherds. Matthew throws in the story of the wise man, also the, the angel visit to Joseph. John goes in an entirely different version here, and he equates Jesus to the word, and he equates Jesus to the light, and he gives these different metaphorical names even to Jesus to tell us who he was. But we get down to verse number 9, and it says the true light that gives light to everyone in the world, that was Jesus. He was in the world. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now that word receive suggests that something was given, correct? So we go on to verse number 12. Yet to those who did receive him, those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And we start to see Christ's generosity here. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when he said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And then this next verse, out of his fullness we all have received, there's that word again, grace in place of grace already given. And we receive because something's given to us. And three times in this passage, we read about either something that's given or something that's received. And this is the example of Christ and what he gives to us. The first thing that he gave to us is he gave himself. He came to man, he became man, and he gave himself as God in becoming man for us. And that's his first example of generosity. Secondly, though, he became man so that he could die for man, so that man could find salvation, but also so that man could become part of the family of God. And so he came to give family privileges. That was his gift that we could become sons and daughters. It's a pretty good gift, isn't it? Be part of God's family. And that was one of the things that Jesus gave this family privileges. And then it tells us in verse number 16 there, he came to give grace in place of grace. And I love that. Some translation says grace, uh, wave after wave of grace. And the idea is that grace comes, and right behind it, more grace comes, and right behind it, more grace comes. And God's favor just is dumped on us in wave after wave after wave, where it's almost like this, this receptacle that's full of grace. And God just keeps pouring more into it, and there's no room to receive it. So it just keeps flowing out, and I think that's an important picture for us to keep in mind. It keeps flowing out because of the grace that flows into it. He gave. He gave willingly. He gave at cost to himself. And in his giving, he shows his heart. But he also showed that his mission was wrapped up in this idea of generosity. And as Christ's followers, could that be our mission too? A mission of generosity where he gave grace, where he gave gifts, where he gave favor, where he gave good things to us. But this morning, I don't want to focus on the example that Jesus set. I actually want to focus on some things that Jesus said. And so we're going to do something a little bit different. I don't usually go from passage to passage to passage. But we're going to do that a little bit this morning. And to make it easier for you, we'll make sure that the verses are up here on the screen so that you can follow along. But I want to look at five things that we can learn about generosity from what Jesus said. And so the first one of these is going to be in Matthew chapter 10. We're going to start reading in verse number 5. It says this, these 12, or these 12, Jesus' disciples, he sent out with the following instructions. So Jesus has gathered his disciples together. He's going to send them out into the villages, to the hillsides, countrysides, to meet with people. And these are the instructions that he gives. So they're on a little bit of a missions trip here, to put it in modern terms. Here's the instructions. First of all, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. They would eventually do that, but not on this trip. Don't go to any of the towns of the, the Samaritans or the, of the Gentiles. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So you're just going to go to Jewish towns. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And we keep reading here, and it's surprising how much this sounds like last week. 
when Jesus said to go back to John and say, here's what you're seeing. But notice, this is what the disciples were supposed to be doing. Here's what he tells the disciples to do. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. And drive out demons. Now, if I'm standing there and those are the instructions I'm given, I'm like, huh. Exactly how am I supposed to do that? Well, then he doesn't stop, though. He keeps on going and he says this. Freely you have received, freely give. Let me read that again. Freely you have received, freely give. And here's the first thing that we learn about generosity from Jesus' instructions here. It's this. Generosity is simply me passing along what I have been given. And what he's saying to the disciples at this point is, I want you to give these things to people here. I want you to give healing. I want you to give, uh, I want you to give um, you know, casting out demons, however you would say that. But I want you to give th- these gifts to people, but you're going to be able to give those gifts because I am giving you that ability. And generosity is me passing along what I've been given, so I am actually not the source of what I'm sharing, which means I'm not the source, actually, of my own prosperity. And sometimes we get that in our heads, like, okay, I have these things, and I've worked hard to get these things, and, and I've, you know, invested, or I've been wiser, or I've been smart, whatever. You know, I have these things because of me. You really don't. But sometimes it's a hard thing for me to give because if I think I've had to work hard to get this, then they're mine. And what Jesus is saying here in the example of this is whatever you have, you're not the source of. You can only be generous not because you're so wise and smart and work so hard. You can be generous because I am generous. And I have given you these things. Freely I've given these things. Now you can pass those along. Not only are you not the source, and I am not the source of those things, we're not even deserving of those things. What does he say here? Freely you have been given. Not you have been given, but freely. You you didn't deserve this. All these things that you enjoy in life, from material things to to opportunities that you have, even to relationships that that you have, to, to privileges that you have, you have received those freely. There's not a good thing that you have in your life that you're enjoying that you have earned or that you deserve. But you have them because God freely gives them to us. But he freely gives them to us with what? The expectations that they don't stay with us. Freely you have been given. Freely give. And notice that word freely gets repeated there. The idea is you didn't deserve it. So when you look at giving, deservedness is never an issue in giving. Oh, I know you have a need, but boy, I look at how you've, and, and we have our, our, our qualifications there and say, I'm sorry, I'm not sure that you've earned this gift. And there is no such thing as earning it. What we have freely received, we freely give. And this is what I would call a legacy idea of generosity. And we started with the Christmas tree ship story because there's a legacy idea in there that the brother hands off this legacy of, of delivering these Christmas trees to his brother who in turn hands them off to his wife and to his daughters, maybe not intentionally any of them. But there's this legacy of generosity that gets passed on. 
This is the idea here, is that we have this legacy of generosity where I have freely received or been given to, and I, in turn, turn around and freely give that to somebody. And if I give that to somebody in this room, you take that and you freely give that to somebody else who freely gives that to somebody else who freely gives that to somebody else. And that is the idea of generosity. But you know what's interesting in this passage here that we just looked at? Again, there's no mention of anything financial. You're supposed to heal the sick. You're supposed to raise the dead. You're supposed to cure the lepers. You're supposed to cast out demons. There's no money. There's no financial transaction that's going on here. There's actually not even thing, anything that I can do. So if I'm going to do this, it requires um, supernatural help. So Jesus is asking them to do something that on their own they'd be unable to do. And, and when it comes to generosity, let's be honest, it's hard sometimes, isn't it? Like, gosh, I, I barely feel like I have enough and now I'm supposed to be passing this on? Exactly. Because it's supposed to be supernatural. They couldn't do that. I mean, have you ever tried to heal somebody? Or have you ever tried to raise the dead? It doesn't work. And they knew that, but sometimes even like, oh, I need to be generous in this situation. I don't know if I can pull that off. It doesn't matter because Jesus like, that's part of what I'm giving you is not just this gift. I'm giving you the ability to pass that on. And he goes on in this passage and he actually keeps talking. He says this, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. And the main point of this instruction is what? Is as you go and do this, don't worry about taking a lot of money with you. You'll be taken care of, okay? I'm going to make sure that if you're, as you're on this mission of generosity, that there is generosity that comes at your way, and you will be fine. But there's also a point that's made here, too is that generosity is more than just a financial or material transaction. I think, I don't know if this is true or not, but at least something to think about here. When Jesus says, don't put money in your pockets to take with you, the temptation would be to, oh, you got a need? Here. Oh, you got a need? Here. They had nothing to give that way. So when they saw somebody, oh, you have a need? Okay, God, I'm going to need help on this one. And so generosity is more than just a financial transaction. We've said that several times here this morning. Jesus never gave money or things. On this missions trip, they were to give healing. They were to give freedom. They were to give life. But they weren't to give money. And the point is we have so much more to give than just money. In fact, I think sometimes when we make financial contributions, and there's nothing wrong with that, and we need to do that. But sometimes when we make financial contributions, we have chosen the lowest form of generosity. It's like we're in, in the kindergarten of, of the school of generosity. Now, you can't be generous, I don't think, without a willingness to give up financially or to give up your possessions. I think those are ways that we express it. And if you can't do that, you're going to struggle with generosity. But there's so much more when it comes to generosity. It's where we can share 
our time where we can share our knowledge. Maybe it's where we can share an ability that we have. Maybe it's where we can share a privilege that we have. Maybe it's where we can share an opportunity that we have. Maybe it's where we can share encouragement. Maybe it's an ability or talent or skill that I can actually use to help you somewhere along the line. But generosity, we make this big, and it's like got a dollar sign with it. And generosity is this big. It's any time. That we take a resource, an opportunity, a gift that we have been given and look at somebody and say, oh, you have a need here? Let me share that with you. And maybe what we need to do is back it up or change the direction of it. Instead of just looking at all the things that I have, maybe I need to look at what the need is over here. And then I can go back to my bag of things and say, oh, I've actually got that that could meet that need. But that's the idea that we see from this instruction. We identify the needs around us, and we go about meeting them. Maybe it's friendship. Maybe it's simply a listening ear. Maybe you have great organizational skills, and somebody could help, and you could help somebody with that. Maybe it's just a cup of coffee or a phone call or just sitting down and say, hey, what's going on right now? And some of us, our biggest challenge to generosity it's the fact that we're just not very aware of needs around us. But Jesus, what did he do? He sent them into the villages and he said, okay, I'm sending you into these villages. And can you imagine as they arrive in town? Nobody, it wasn't like Jesus was coming. It was just these disciples. And I just, so it's not like the crowds would have gathered for them. Instead, they arrived in these towns and what did they have to do? They had to seek out the needs of the town. So they could be generous with these gifts that they have been given. So it's not financial. Generosity is more than financial. And it's not a transaction either. Jesus uh, said this, and Paul quotes Jesus in Acts 20, 38. He says, what? It's more blessed to give than to receive. The blessing of generosity is not that you get something back. The blessing of generosity is that you actually be able, are actually part of the process where God meets a need, and he uses you in that moment. So we're not looking for return favor. We're not looking for notoriety or attention or a pat on the back or a big thank you. We just simply give because there's needs out there, and there's no transactional part about that. And I think sometimes that's, we even hear that in Christian circles. Well, be generous, because if you'll be generous, then you will receive this. What you're going to receive is you're going to receive God's grace in helping you be generous. And that is a great gift in and of itself, but it's not transactional. Well, we go to the next passage here. So I trip over the table. Go to the next passage in Luke chapter 12. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and this is sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain. We know it's sister sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is the most famous discourse of Jesus. This is a very similar discourse, but it took place in the plains. So this verses will sound a little bit familiar. We're going to start reading in verse number 22. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. And he goes on, Consider the birds. Well, God feeds them. They don't have to worry about it. Consider the flowers. They don't worry about anything. God takes care of them too. So don't get all wrapped up in material things, or don't be all worried about having enough. Just seek God, and he will take care of you. 
We're familiar with that in Matthew chapter 6, right? Well, let's keep reading here, though. If you look in verse number 32, he says what? Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Okay. Check out that next line. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And what Jesus is saying here, if you're struggling with worry, and if you're struggling with worry about not having enough, here's what you need to do. Take what you have and go sell it. And give it to the poor. I think I'd like to go back to the Matthew 6 version, okay? It seems a whole lot less demanding. But his point here is this, that generosity is a declaration of trust. Generosity is going to stretch your faith in extreme ways. And by the way, if you're like, you know, I don't feel like I'm growing in my faith, here's a real easy step to take. Be more generous. Because when you get more generous, you step into that territory of the unknown or where it's not as certain or it's not as secure. And when you get there, then you have to start looking to God. But generosity is a declaration of trust. I am deliberately giving away things that I think I need. That's why I have them. I'm selling them. I'm giving them away so that you can have them. And what Jesus, I think, is after here is when it comes to generosity, we have to overcome fear. I think most people say the, the, the reason that they're, you know, people aren't generous is because they're greedy. They just want more for themselves. I don't think so. That might be a reason. I think the reason that most people struggle with generosity is because they're afraid. Uh, that's for me. I mean, that's the biggest thing there is that I am afraid if I do this that I won't have enough over here for this. And so Jesus comes and says, okay, you know what? How about if you just trust me? You're going to be afraid, but if you back, can you back up that, that last slide there? I don't know if it says that. It says, verse number 32, it says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm going to take care of you. And so we give with that expression that God will take care of us. It helps us overcome that fear. It does actually help us to overcome the power of things. We have a tendency to put our trust in things. Things like my house or things like my job or things like my bank account or things like my insurance policy or things like my training. And Jesus, no, 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 don't put your trust in those things. Put your trust in me. And generosity requires me to make that statement. Okay, God, I will trust you. Now, it's not wrong to have things. In fact, those things can be resources that you can actually use for others. And it's okay to enjoy things, too. God gave us the capacity to enjoy. But we can't be beholden to those things. And so generosity is a way that we give, but it's actually a way that we give up. We give up the deservedness that we have, or we give up this idea that these are my rights, or we give up this idea that, that I am responsible for taking complete control of myself and I give up my security and I give up all these different things that's what generosity is about number four generosity is an attitude of the heart and not just a religious habit Gen uh, Matthew chapter 23 Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in this place and we'll put this up on the screen 
And this is what he says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Okay, they were giving what they were expected and required to give. You give your tenth, your tithe. But you have neglected what's most important, more important, the matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. But what happened here is people were doing what they were expected to do, and I think patting themselves on the back for how generous they'd been. And he's like, fine, yes, you're expected to give your tenth, you're expected to give your tithe here, but you're not generous. You're not generous because your attitude's all wrong about it. You're doing this because it's duty, or you're doing this because you can feel good about yourself, or you can be self-righteous in the, in the process of this. But generosity comes from the heart. And the reason I'm generous is because I want things like justice and mercy and faithfulness. I want those things to be carried out and move forward in the world. And so I give for a different reason then. And Jesus is saying, you think you're generous, but you're not. You know, every church takes an offering, and it's how we kind of do business. If we're dependent on that, that's how we pay light bills and, and uh in facilities and salaries and all these different things in ministry and curriculums and whatever. But there's a huge danger, I think, in, in the offering of the church. In the offering of the church, the danger is this, is that we give because of habit. Okay, here we go. And maybe if you go all the way back when you first started giving, the heart was behind it, but you kind of lose it as you go. Or sometimes we, get, you know, we give because it's the duty, or we give because it's the expectation. Or sometimes we, we even use it as, as a pride thing. Okay, yes, I've done this. And, and we see this back in Jesus' time. But that's the wrong reason to give. We give not so that we can fulfill some obligation. We, fulfill so that we, can, we give so that we can make the world a better place so that mercy can be part of our, the fabric of our society, so that compassion can take place, so that the justice can happen for the disadvantaged. That's the reason that we give. And so when we're called to be generous, it's not so that we can feel good about ourselves. It's so that we can give the world what's missing, not just financially, but in areas of justice, mercy, those types of things. Well, last one here. Number five, generosity is one of the most important ways that we can love our neighbors. Luke chapter 10 is the story of the Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan is, said, is shared in response to Jesus sharing the great commandment, which says what? Love God, first of all, and love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the people listening there said, wanted to justify himself. So he said, okay, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus answers that by giving the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is somebody being generous. And he finishes it with these words here. Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so we see that theme repeated again there, right? Mercy. Mercy was what drove generosity, not pride or not habit or not duty. It was mercy that drove that. 
But generosity is a way for us to love our neighbors. It's an expression of equality. We live in a world where everybody's constantly trying to outmaneuver everybody else so that they can be above, so they can be powerful, so they can have control, so they can be the authority in this situation. And that's what our world does. And what does generosity do? Generosity says, oh, let me put me underneath you instead of vice versa. Or you could even say, hey, how about if I have this and you don't have what I have? How about if I give you enough that we are finally on level ground here? And that's what generosity is, expressing equality. Your need is as important as my resource. So let's share here. It's realizing that I might be the solution to another person's problem. Then again, that person's need may be more than financial. And so we see the example of Jesus Christ in, in his generosity, but never once, to my knowledge, Involved anything financial, even material. It's much more in the spiritual, or you could say the physical. It was in that realm of the supernatural. But then he gives us these instructions when it comes to generosity. And I think it gives us a clearer story of what generosity is about. Now, we talked about the story of the Christmas tree ship and the idea of generosity, even the legacy of giving brother to brother, husband to wife, father to kids. Maybe kids to grandkids. I don't know how long it went on. That was the Schunemann family. Great family, I suppose. But we're God's family. And the story of generosity in our family should exceed any human family. See, we're here today because of the generosity of Jesus Christ, who said, oh, look at you in your sin. Oh, look at you in your frustration. Oh, look at you in your emptiness. Oh, look at you lost in yourself here. Let me give myself. Let me come die on a cross for your sins. Be raised again. We're here because of the generosity of Jesus Christ. We're here today, actually, because of the generosity of the early church. They set the example for us. When they got together, they looked around and said, who has needs? Okay, I can do that. I can take care of that one. I can take care of that one. And we are part of this legacy of generosity, of people who have come before us and who have been generous with their time or generous even with their finances or generous with their mercy or generous with their kindness or generous with whatever. But we are part of that legacy that's continued on. We are a part of freely, it's been given, freely give. That's the challenge, I think, as we look at the tale of the trees and the tree of generosity. It goes back to Matthew 10, verse number 8, which said this, Freely you have received, freely give. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your generosity. We stand in hope today of eternal life. We stand in hope of forgiveness we stand in hope of freedom of all these things, and we're experiencing those things because of your generosity. Jesus, you gave more than a, a buck. You gave yourself. And as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed this morning, let me just ask a couple of questions to help us reflect on what we've been talking about here. 
The first question is, have you ever received the generosity of Jesus? He talked about that way back in that first verse that we read, John 1, 12. As many as received him, he gave the power to become sons and daughters. Have you ever received Christ, invited him into your life as your forgiver, as your savior? You can do that where you sit this morning. Simple conversation or prayer between you and God. Between you and Jesus Christ. Jesus, I believe you came for my sins, died for me. That was your gift to me. I accept that gift. I will trust you to forgive me, to save me. You can do that where you sit. If you're a Christ follower, the call is to give Freely you have received. You didn't deserve it, but you got it. One of the things maybe even that you need to give is just the good news to a neighbor, to a coworker, to a family member who needs to know that there's a God who loves them. That's another way that you can be generous. But let me ask this question specifically this morning. Who do you know who has a need right now? It could be a need of a friend. It could be a financial need. It could be a, a need of just some encouragement. And if you can't think of anybody, would you do this? Would you ask God to bring somebody into your life this week who has a need? And that when he does, that he would make you very aware through his spirit in that moment. That yes, there's a need. And would you commit by his help to meeting that need? So maybe you know who that person is. Maybe you know what that need is. Maybe you don't. But maybe you're ready to go on that adventure with God, to go into that town, to meet that person who may need mercy or may need help. I don't know. But you say, okay, freely I have received. I will, by God's grace, freely give. Will you make that commitment this morning? Jesus, we thank you for your example but we also thank you for your instruction. Help us this week, this Christmas, to live in that spirit of generosity. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? So glad that you're here. Uh, we'll be back Saturday night. It's supposed to be cold and snowy, and we'll still be here. So put your woolies on. And uh, come on out, we'll have a great time, and then we'll be back for anybody who'd like to on Sunday morning as well. And we also have cookies out there, there's boxes that you can do your shifting around in, and there's plastic gloves so we can be sanitary and all of that, but uh, we want you to have a great time there. Have a great week, God bless you, and uh, remember, if you've received freely, give freely.